Welcome to Anxious Black Belt Podcast. I'm Les Bubka. And in this episode, I'll be talking to Tommy Joe Moore from School of Self-Defense. I think most of the listeners are aware who Tommy is. If not, um, Tommy is a World War II combatives instructor, Bartitsu reconstructor, and a self-defense um, teacher. He also is active competitor on the boxing area. Uh, he done judo, savat, eskrima, and loads of other stuff. Uh, he's interested in history. Uh, and at the moment, he is doing loads of seminars. He's also an author of few books uh, on Bartitsu, Second World War uh, Combatives, and his new books book will be on boxing, fighting on cobbles, which I'm really, really looking forward to get my hands on. Uh, we will be talking about a history, mental health, World War Two, combatives, uh, Bartitsu, and few other things. I hope you're gonna enjoy this one. And without further ado, let's listen to Tommy. Um, hi, Tommy. Uh, I hope you are well. Um, the life put us together on the seminars recently. I remember watching your first videos and I thought, wow, that's completely not something I'm interested in it. World War II combatives is not my thing. And uh, self-defense is kind of not my thing, but uh, life went differently. And I have, have to say, I changed my mind and I really like your um, content and your teachings. So how are you, my friend? I'm very, very well. I'm, I'm glad you enjoy them. Uh, I think, you know, that's always the first thing to get over, isn't it, in martial arts, bias, or oh, I enjoy the karate stuff, or the kung fu stuff, or the combative stuff. It's all the same stuff, isn't it? Same stuff, different uniform. Yeah, different. definitely. <laughs> uh, and, you know, okay. I, I, I keep catching myself, I'm uh, judgmental as fuck. And um, yeah, all the time, you know, the first impression is like, well, what have you been thinking? You just give it a bit of a thought, but I think we all are like that a bit, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. We are all judgmental because at the end of the day, if you do this and you've done it for a long while, then you've, you've got a right to be a little bit judgmental. <laughs> you know, your gut feeling is often a good feeling, a correct feeling. Um, but obviously, especially when it comes to online, it's important to give things a little bit of extra time to, to see what's what. You know, you must be the same. You make content. The amount of people that must have made comments. And if they just watched the video 20 seconds longer, they could have had it answered for them and shut up. You know, it's just those the little extra miles, isn't it, that makes the big difference. Uh, yeah, I think exactly. we all can be, we can all afford to be a bit more patient with each other online than we perhaps are. Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, as probably on every podcast, every interview, you are asked uh, about who are you, what you do, um, how did you start? So I would like you to do a like a telegraphic shortcut, shortcut. so short right. content and just a little bit about you. All right, cool. Uh, so my name's Tommy Joe Moore. I'm from Birmingham, which is in the middle of the UK for people watching this abroad. Um, my first martial art was boxing, and I've done that since I was five and I've continued to do that throughout my entire life. Uh, my second martial art was judo, which I got to the dizzying heights of knee down in. Uh, and then soon as my, my knees and back gave up bending, <laughs> so stopped doing, but I've also done that for a large part of my life. And then along the way, I've picked up 
lots and lots of different arts uh, from people some people might be familiar with, such as uh, Thai boxing with Eddie Quinn. Eddie Quinn, Bob Spur and Ben Bates were some of my early Thai boxing instructors. Did that and competed in that for, for many years. Jeet Kune Do with Nigel Trotman and lots and lots of different things from all different countries. Japanese arts, Western arts, Filipino arts. I'm a big addict of this stuff, a lifelong addict. As many people listening to this probably will be, you know, you can be addicted to lots of the arts. You could be addicted to one, but it's all the same drug when it comes to the end of it. We all love this fighting stuff. You've done a very broad spectrum of martial arts. Um, it was just the curiosity of different things or just life? Because, you know, i done a lot of things and it was due to my uh, first instructor and the longest instructor who always encouraged us to, you know, go and try this there's a club here we go on seminar with these guys so i done a lot of lot of stuff as well including boxing jiu-jitsu bjj and all sort of different things but it was just a coincidence or did you purposefully chosen the arts you're gonna go and learn because i'm lacking in this area or something like that i would like to pretend i had some big <laughs> meaningful project plan of ah i have weaknesses in short-edged weapons or long blunt weapons so I, therefore i'll seek out this instructor to be honest, life moves you around. Life moves you around the country, moves you to different places. And in those different places are different instructors. And if you're a you're a wise consumer of martial arts, when you go to a new place, wherever that is, you'll look at what's around you. And whilst you might not have done that thing before, that might be the best thing available, the most interesting thing available. Uh, now I tend to plug gaps more. So if there's a thing I feel, I think, with martial arts to kind of sidetrack it you find yourself a bit some things are on a maintenance cycle you know that mm -hmm. you just keep topping it up and it's okay it's okay and some things you need to put concerted effort into so for example you might say i've not done any ground grappling in x number of years i should probably put a bit of extra focus on that or i haven't done knives in x number of years i better put some focus on knife defense or whatever so i think as you go through life you you decide what needs to be in a maintenance cycle and what needs to be in a focus area and, and that matches your whims at the time as well what you find interesting uh, the great thing about new stuff is that you put a lot of passion and energy into it mm. you humans are like dogs we love to chase cars so you know as much as it's great to be steady in one particular platform and for me that's boxing it's also really exciting to be a bit of a magpie and chase interesting things because of any every interesting thing you only have a really takeaway mm. five things or fewer that are useful everything else is just decoration isn't it you know you go there and you grab the things you like and you you take them away to your little nest of martial arts techniques and strategies just like seminars you'll go of the 10 drills that you might do that day two you're like oh oh come with me and you you can come with me too uh so i think we're all a bit like it in the end yeah um i don't know if just me but i i see actually a few people as well you try something new and um then you get a bit over like over enthusiastic so you just try to focus on that new thing and and oh that's gonna be my new thing but for, for me it was like that you know we tried mma we tried kickboxing and stuff like that but it always kind of bring me to the core the karate is the core karate is in my heart so it always kind of loops me although I have a, like a five-year distractions with something then i always come back to karate what was the martial arts for you that you always come back it's always, 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 always been boxing uh, and previously judo. So the things I started with have been the lifelong constants because 
they're gritty they're authentic they're everywhere you can go to every you know small towns on the isle of sky in orkney you know on the isle of man anywhere you go in this world you will find a boxing club a judo club somewhere which is great you know which means they can travel with you for life and there's always competitions there's always good sparring you know there's always good stuff around because you can't really be a rubbish boxing gym you know you can mm. be a slightly bad kung fu school you can be a kind of rubbish karate school boxing gyms unless people are winning or doing well they don't tend to stay alive very long so the quality assurance tends to be relatively good um, mm. and that that then suits me so those have been my my lifelong kind of passions and martial arts loves but i love all of it you know i, I try i really try hard not to think in terms of styles so you know if people are watching this familiar with me they'll see me pop up at a karate seminar then at a krav maga seminar then they'll see me fight in a boxing competition and then they might see me do a fencing seminar you know all of it i love and, mm. and all of it adds something to you um and i think historically if we look at every single historical master it's what they've all done every yeah. single one of them has tried new things engaged with other people stolen stuff played with stuff and also had things match their moods you know the karate of a 30 year old man is different to the karate of a 50 year old man which is different to the karate of a 70 year old man so you can see you know how arts change with the people too and depending on what stage in that sensei's life you train with them the karate they give you will be very different the same in every every club a young boxing coach teaches you differently to an old boxing coach you know that's mm. It's it's a very so it's not just styles it's times as well I think that's one thing people neglect time and context of when you're being taught this stuff by by, by someone definitely I think that that karate I wish that karate would be more like boxing that you've got that um, level of quality you know you're going to the gym wherever you want and like you said you've got the you're doing boxing and it's kind of similar level there are deviations as with everything but in karate there are huge ones there's no one kind of middle level that whichever school you're going to go because it's so many branches of it it just um it's a bit dis disheartening sometimes that you know you go to the club and it's completely different what you've been doing but you know that's the way it is and and sometimes you know um we're getting a bit low seeing people doing this and that but un until people enjoying it i think that's okay if there's no harm done it's enjoying it and you know they, they've got so much benefits uh, just physical activity has got so much benefit for us that it's worth it. Which brings me to the question about mental health. Um, do you think that a um, boxing, other martial arts you've done helped you mentally uh, with your mental health? Did you have any uh, kind of impact on it? I have to say, and, and fingers crossed and touch wood, I've always been pretty robust when it comes to my physical and my mental health. So, you know, it, it would it would be bad of me to say it's helped it might have prevented things from happening but in terms of you know I, I don't tend to as yet suffer from any kind of big mental health challenges I've always been relatively confident and relatively healthy and relatively happy and that's mm -hmm. you know that's good that's a that's a good thing um, but what I would say is that I see how much and I'll, I'll use the boxing gym I go to now Madrimov as an example you know every day in that there'll be everything from moms that have just had kids and they're feeling pretty low and they want to feel fit and strong and confident again um there's a couple of lads in there that have got down syndrome that have struggled to access other sports 
And it's the boxing gym that allows them to go there and spar and hit bags and be with other people and not over baby them. You know, they're all men. You know, they're like they, these guys, they've got Down syndrome, but they still want to punch stuff and they still want to do all the boxing stuff. And it's at that place that they can turn up and just be, you know, Dave or Tom. They mm. can just be them, not a not a label, not a thing per se. They're, they're just themselves. And I, and I see all different levels of mental health. There's lots of young people that have had challenging things happen in their life. There's a young lad, which I, I do a bit of sparring with, who's recently lost his mother. And, you know, he, he it affected him so much, he went mute. He couldn't speak for three months. He couldn't say a word, you know, but he still turned up to boxing. So I, I see an entire spectrum of the mental health makeup of the country come through those doors. And it pleases me to say that everybody leaves looking and feeling a little bit happier than when they went in. Um, so whilst I can't give a big mental health story for me, what I can say is that I see it. And another thing, you know, a lot of people watching this might know that I used to be a school teacher and I used to teach in what's known as a pupil referral unit. So if you got kicked out or expelled from school, if you're a kid that's in a gang, if you're dealing drugs from disadvantaged backgrounds, all of those things, they, they would come to the pro schools. And I used to take the time to teach them self-defense and boxing and martial arts and a lot of the other teachers were like these are violent kids why are you making them better at being more violent i'm like no I'm, I'm making them better at understanding their own bodies their own fitness their own putting putting dedication into something you know they couldn't do a jab last week now they can do a jab without falling over mm. that doesn't seem amazing to us but to them that's amazing you know and and so i've seen the transformative effects on people's mental and, and social health firsthand in that school system yeah i i love that because i'm working a lot with people uh, with different mental uh, health issues plus physical disabilities and it always makes me my heart grow when i see them coming in uh, kind of sad and and in a bad mood and coming out with a big smile because they smashed the pads a little bit and kicked maybe uh, not not correctly but they actually make the contact and stuff like that and the other side of it is you know it always makes me laugh uh, had a comment yesterday on uh, one of my students who's beginner i have a some um, problems with uh, mobility and you know doing marsh gary because we've been recording stuff and people going all killing themselves over online how badly he kicks who cares he's enjoying it he's going home happy i'm happy that he's there we're all happy and he's doing something so who cares it's positive for him um but you are also known for a uh Bartitsu and recon mm -hmm. reconstructions of it and i was thinking if you could tell us how how to do things like that because i think karate is doing a reconstructions all the time of the infamous bunkais banana bunkais as you call it <laughs> um because you know we don't know what was the originally the form was for so we're trying to pick and cherry pick you know um techniques that might work for us which is in a way great because we see such a big variety of applications suited for other people but to rebuild whole um art it is a bit of a task can you uh, shed some light on how how did you get on with it and how did you start it yeah, so there's, there's something called HEMA, H-E-M-A, which is Historical European mm -hmm. Martial Art. That's where people take manuals and guides from the time, say medieval longsword or Polish saber fencing, and they take them, they're typically well illustrated and well explained, and they try and bring them back to life via looking at the guides and the context and the first-hand sources and reconstructive fighting archaeology, essentially <coughs> doing it. 
sparring, fighting, testing it, optimizing it, see what's working and what's not. And so there's a kind of a pattern to bringing things back to life, which HEMA is very good at because it's been doing it a long time. Um, it's, there's a good amount, there's a good balance between martial testing, you know, pressure testing it always, and HEMA does that very well, nearly all see, the time. See, seeing them um, fighting is just uh, mind-blowing. They, they yeah. don't hold back. If you compare it to, say, Yedo or Kenjutsu or how Japanese systems that do have living lineages, you know, you can see that the HEMA guys do a lot more fighting. Mm. They do a lot more. I think if you were to take a samurai from the past and show him a HEMA club and a modern day Yedo club, he would have a lot more understanding of what's happening at the HEMA yeah, club. Like, yeah. I understand this. What the fuck is that guy doing sat on the floor? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so with Bartitsu, um, you know, I love history. I love bringing back history for people. It's a big passion of mine. I love martial arts and martial history. And with Bartitsu, I was good at most of the arts that make that up anyway. So in terms of boxing, judo, jiu-jitsu, savat, which is a French kickboxing system and using weapons. So all the ingredients I'm good at already. And there's lots and lots of first-hand sources. There's lots of imagery, not just of Bartitsu. There's not a huge amount on Bartitsu, but what we call the antagonistic. So we've got lots of books on how people boxed, how people used cane fighting, how people did savat, how people wrestled. Hundreds, I mean, nearly about a thousand. If you took, took a small window of, say, 1870 to 1910, which would be a good window, you're probably looking about 1,500 very well-written, well-illustrated, well-defined guides on how to do all the things, which the Japanese just do not have. They did mm. not have access to that amount of photography. And the Asian culture is very secretive, very closed door. The Western is very open. So the Western guides will show you how to throw and wrestle and strangle, how to use a stick, how to fight with savat. You know, the Japanese system is all about, you know, getting your menkyo, isn't it? Getting your license to mm. teach. Door, closed door. Because Western arts are so open door, We've got thousands more sources to draw from and play with. And as you move into my other passion, the World War II combatives, not only have we got all that stuff, all that imagery and all that write-up and all those books, we've also got film footage, really good, long film footage. Again, thousands of hours of film footage of the guys doing it. Again, if you look at Japanese arts or even things like jiu-jitsu, there's little snippets, mm. but compared to things like, if you look at William Fairburn's teaching, you can get about five hours of him teaching stuff on film that you can do and watch and go through. I'd also say that it's a little bit of a cheat because both of them, Bartitsu and the World War II combatives, are redacted curriculums. Bartitsu is for self-defense, so the curriculum is relatively small. You know, World War II combatives taught over, say, six periods of 45 minutes, relatively small. So it doesn't have the fluff. It doesn't have the kata and the bunkai and the, the spiritual aspects and all that stuff. So it's easier to bring that back to life because it's already a slimmer product. It's already a, a tighter product than, you know, can you imagine trying to bring back, say, an old Kung Fu system that's got mm. 30 forms and a spear form and a sword form and a saber form and, you know, all that stuff. It'd be, it'd be nearly impossible. It's just too much data. Mm. Whereas Artitsu and World War Combatives they are functional enough to bring back to life and we've got more than enough sources to do that well um the japanese arts will never have that because that's not part of the culture they didn't have the technology really that much and the culture wasn't so much for writing things down and transmitting them very openly 
even the books that were made are more about getting you to join a club as opposed to teaching you stuff. Mm. I suppose the the era of internet helped the researchers much easier. Now you've got access to all the libraries around the world if you want to. And you yeah. can find those those um, historical materials, which you know, 20, 30 years ago, you would have to travel. And, you know, I remember from Karate, you know, in Poland, in the 80s, 90s and 2000s, we didn't have money, we didn't, there was no internet. So you had the all reprints and, you know, scans yeah. of uh, of the book written on the type, old type, typewriter who was just copied from somebody had they been fortunate to have a book from the United States or something like that. So... <laughs> Uh, you've been talking, you know, you, you just took the, my question about World War II, you already answered it, that's made me, my job easier. Um, but recently you shared a thought about the self-defense and boxing, which um, is actually kind of my alley that, you know, I'm not that into the uh, self-defense, but I like combat sports. And I think the combat sports, the, the way we practice combat sports, it translates much easier to stand up or self-defense fighting on the street and i had a few few incidents in poland when when my karate just worked for me but because it was a a sporting under pressure exercise and um, i think some people uh, taking the self-defense classes but they all um you know you can hurt people they don't use contact that much and they believe that they are uh, able to defend themselves without that pressure testing and not really knowing how it feels to stand off face to face with the opponent who actually wants to take your head off either in a karate full contact competition or boxing judo or whatever you've got that sense of other person just wants to kill you not literally yeah. but you know he wants to hurt you because he wants to win could you could you kind of explain your thought about it yeah so so the, the the point i was making was about drills and how it's very common now for people to talk a lot about soft skills and what we mean by <clears> that is dialogue and communication and talking people down and replicating all manner of scenarios and my point was that much of those are i i in my opinion they offer very little value because most of the time there is no real fear violence is about fear and if you're doing it with people from your club no matter how much you play act you still know that it's Barry and Tony and Tina playing the role of these thugs. And, and I'll tell you for why that these things don't work is that if you're a reasonable person that trains in a reasonably nice place, which is most of the world, Barry and Tina and Sarah have not ever mugged people for a living, mm. have not made a career of breaking into houses and raping people and cutting them open. They have no experience of that. So even when they play act it, they're play acting it from no experience whatsoever. They are doing their best TV movie version of what they think a bad guy is and does. So therefore, you're getting an inauthentic person, an inauthentic experience delivered in an inauthentic. And it's not like teachers instruct pupils on how to be better method actors, do they? Mm. You know, they're not, they're not giving acting classes. How could you be more thug like Tony next time? So that's, you're, that's, play, you're play acting people yeah. that don't know what they're doing. That's the, that's the problem in my club. Sometimes we play the buddies and 90% of us feel uncomfortable and don't simply know how to do. If, even swearing at people comes really yeah. hard. And, it, and even like, I think online, it looks realistic. Everyone looks macho, like you fucking fuck, fuck you. It can look really macho, but psychologically, 
there's no fear. And I'd say this, the reason why combat sports are preeminent for me in my mind in keeping you safe physically is because pain exists. If I don't slip my head, guess who comes? Sensei pain. Bang! You know, if I don't grip correctly, who's coming to chuck me on the ground? It's good old sensei pain. Bang! <laughs> that pain makes me second guess myself, makes me doubt, makes me fear, makes me afraid. Even if your drills look violent and you wear all the headgear and padding, yeah, there's typically always a script, the good guy and the bad guy. And mm-hmm. the bad guy is obliged to lose most of the time. In most clubs, there is already a... So even if you still hit each other and say, we don't spar, but we do hit each other in a more realistic way, that's fine. But the script dictates who wins and who loses. Eventually, like I'm playing a bad guy and a small person is playing the good guy. Eventually, I'll go down on one knee because I'm being mm-hmm. nice. You know, I'm not going to stay there and be like, your punches to me are like farts from a gnat. I'm not going, you couldn't hit me that hard that I'm going, you know, you have to suspend disbelief for it. And so, you know, what I think is important with combat sports is, especially if you compete, sparring is good, competing is better, because Mm. then the people really want it. You know, sparring is great. Heavy sparring is great. Competition adds that extra fear, extra doubt, extra worry. And, And I don't think people need to do it all the time, but you should at least have done it a couple of times. So you get a taste for that fear and that doubt and that worry and sense a pain will come knocking every time you fail. Mm. You know, I just came, my boxing instructor, I was at one of his fights this weekend. He lost. Does it matter? No, because he went to sensei pain school. You know, mm. it's going to make him better. You know, he went to a 12 round decision. The things that he knows he should have done better, you know, so he'll go away and he'll be pissed off and he'll be angry about that and he'll train harder. And that's good. You know, we all need to go see sensei pain at some point and that's what combat sport you know in a combat sport sensei pain's doors always open and he's always willing to teach yeah i i think that uh, people as well um fall in that trap what you said that you know um the one needs to win and the always the bad guy has loses and they always bring bring to my mind the seminar actually we've been in together and on the bunkai bash and we've been training together and uh, bob uh, got, got us that um, arm bar which, you know, I'm, I'm much taller than you, so um, it wouldn't work at all. So for those who haven't seen us, I've been hanging on uh, Tommy's hand and trying to do armbar with my 65 kilos. <laughs> and he's just standing laughing at me. So we both concluded that, you know, let's keep this one because it's never going to work for me. And I think people forget that, you know, not, not everything we learn is for you. As a teachers, we need to show the broad stuff for all the types of people, but you have to cherry pick what works for you. Me being, you know, 170 centimeters tall, so just a bit taller than mushroom, I, I, can't, I can't do and go for uh, techniques that in, incorporate use of body mass and leverage because I'm just not built like that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important. Self-awareness really matters, you know, you, you need to be self-aware to understand what techniques work for you. And you also need to be aware of people's morphology, their, their bodies and their temperament. When you're an instructor, when you're a teacher, you can teach everybody everything as an academic exercise. Say like, John, you're six foot seven. You're never going to do this technique. But I will teach you because it's on the curriculum. That's cool. I'm just going to show you. Like that is perfectly fine because some people just love collecting interesting techniques, whether they would use them or not. If you're teaching with a self-protection aspect or element, it's there you have to turn your honesty dial up and say, look, you know, you are seven stone. 
ringing wet. Like some techniques are not going to work for you. Others might. And here in my recommendation as your instructor are the ones that might. But you need to try them and you need to trust them. You know, it's, it's my job to shortlist. It's your job to select. You know, I can shortlist and say mm. this batch of techniques, that throw instead of this throw is better for you. But you need to go try it and test it. And you you report back to me. You tell me how well it went. Um, you know, that experimental aspect. And I think that is lost in a lot of traditional systems. You know, people tend to I, I find Asian systems. One of their biggest endemic problems is over teaching. Mm. You can go to a boxing club or a judo club and do a really bad jab and a really bad osotogeri. But they're not going to come up to you every 10 seconds and go, we'll move your foot here, we'll move your shoulder here. We'll do, do. You know, a boxing coach might not speak to you for three months mm. and he'll walk past you and say, put your elbow in. Then he might not speak to you again for another six weeks and he'll say, drop your chin. You know, like because there's more respect for how people really learn. I think mm. a lot of Asian martial arts club, you'll get Johnny White Belt come in and they'll be like, that foot should be 45 degrees and that should be here and this should be here and you should look to the West. And, you know, I think it, it just is part of the culture. Japanese mm. is a very perfectionist culture. You know, Asian martial cultures are very perfectionist, but I, I don't think it really matches how people legitimately learn. If you look at how we teach people and educate people in the West, on the first day of school, you're not uh, taught reading, writing, grammar, you know, alphabet, you know, clauses sentences oxford comma you're not taught all those things in one go it's over time and, and i think that's what really matters you know how we go about teaching people should mm. be very personal and we shouldn't over teach if we can help it for sure um tell me you are also an author how did you get yes. into writing is that was by accident or did you plan so it? so uh part of my job so part of my normal boring day job i work in advertising i make tv adverts and social media that's what i do for, for big companies and, and i thought one day you know i really enjoy martial arts books and literature I've got thousands of books thousands of books on everything you could possibly imagine and what i like about a book is that how many of us in martial arts have subscribed to apps and video libraries and platforms gone on it a thousand times and then completely forgotten it probably mm. paid for it several months after the last time we ever looked at it they will die one day you will die you won't go you won't refresh that website it will be gone every trace of it will be gone mm. we've still got books knocking around now from you know the 1700s 1800s because they're physical because they matter so you know i made my books like i've got them here shanghai school of street fighting you know modern bartitsu i've got my books here and I know that they're physical. They're in people's lives right now. They're in book sales and in drawers. They've got coffee cups on them. They're slightly bent under pads in someone's dojo. And that's really important. You know, I wanted to make, if I'm bringing back things to life, such as World War II combatives and Bartitsu, the original founders of those things believed it was important to record them. But what I've done is I've done it with full color photography. Mm -hmm. Today we can print a lot more. It's a lot cheaper to print. So I can put more detail and context I can add things now as an author that they could have only ever dreamed of because of the things that they had available to them. You know, it's on print on demand. So if you're in Timbuktu or God knows where, Swindon, you can you can download it and have it. You can have it physically. You can have it virtually. Yeah. And so for me, making books that get people inspired to do stuff really mattered. And I wanted a book with physicality, with techniques. There are so many books now on communication and soft skills and martial arts and the law. The books that I loved, the ones that inspired me to get off my ass and go to places were the ones with a load of pictures that were really cool that me and my mates could go, let's try that. Let's mm. try that. Look, you know, that's what 
especially young people, that's what they want. They don't want to be lectured to. They'll be like, here's some cool techniques. Here's how to apply them. Go play. Go explore. And that's that's the foundation of, of my books and my writing style, really. They're designed as things that in the first two or three pages, you've got stuff to play with. And I'm very honest, you know, I'm like, look, you do need to go train. You need to work with other people. You can't, a book will never replace an instructor because an, a book will never introduce mm. you to sensei pain. But, you know, with my book, Modern Bartitsu, anyone around the world that's got a bit of martial skill can start a Bartitsu club and try it and experiment for themselves. You know, if you've got a slight interest in history, whether you're just doing it for VE day with your kids in your karate or jujitsu clubs, you've got the curriculum for World War II combatives that you can play with. And that's important for me. It's got to be experimental and playful. And that's what drove me to make these books. Uh, I've got my third book coming out. And this third book isn't historical. This is my take. This is my take on boxing as a martial tool. How could you take stuff from boxing and use it for self-protection? How could a karateka or jujitsuka, you know, a kung fu person, take a bit of what's good in boxing and put it into their stuff. Or if you're interested in Krav Maga or self-defense, how do I take some of the best bits of boxing and put it into that? It's not the whole answer, but it's got enough answers. And so mm. it's, it's stuff to inspire and engage people to try it. All of my books are designed for one thing, to make you get off your backside and go try it physically. And that's that's what they're designed to do. I have to say that the, the new book got amazing colorful pictures. It just draws your attention instantly. I love how you put your boxing shoes, tracksuit and a jacket, and, and it just looks really nice, draws attention. I'm sure it's going to be a super uh, successful. I mean, what's, what's your seminars in the future? Because you are super, super busy every yeah. weekend somewhere. Everywhere. I mean, to be honest, there's no point in me listening. And the best thing people can do is go on my Facebook, add me on Facebook. My Facebook's wide open, so if you're a Russian hacker, go join in. Have fun. <laughs> it's completely open, so just go there and have a look. I will always, you know, one thing I'll always do if people book me on a seminar, I'll always do my best to get as many people as I can there. I'll always try and promo it and talk to people about it and post images. It. So my role in being a traveling instructor, I take very seriously. You know, I, I even if three people and a donkey turn up, you'll still get the same passion from me as 40 50 people you know I've, I've been to i've made my own seminars where hardly anyone's come up and i've made seminars where i've had to turn people away that have turned up on the day there's no room and people will always get the most passionate version of me no matter what the size or what the group or whatever's going on the best place for me people to find out what i'm doing is facebook to be honest and the youtube channel I'll always promo in there and sometimes people are very spontaneous and say tommy uh, like i've had an instructor drop out next week could you do something uh, and I'll do my best because I, I love it. I love teaching a seminar and I love teaching experienced martial artists or people that do their own thing, because then I know that they might take a couple of my drills and bring it into what they do. It's harder. to. I have a big respect for people that teach really raw beginners because that is a skill unto itself. My skill really is about taking people that already do martial arts, and give them some new stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm good at and I like different drills and approaches and things like that. But it is a big, big skill to take a bunch of people that don't know their elbow from their arsehole and get them to stand up without falling over. So, I, you know, I, I appreciate people that do that. I tend to not do it because it doesn't suit my lifestyle and what I'm into right now. But I, I do appreciate that it's a lot of effort to be a long term fixed place martial arts instructor. You know, it requires a lot more of your soul <laughs> than rocking up and be like, here's some cool stuff. Let's try it, guys. Yeah. 
Tommy, it was a pleasure have you on on our podcast. Um, we're doing seminar seminar soon together. I'm looking forward to do that and looking forward to getting your book. And I highly recommend, guys, you grab uh, Tommy's book or visit seminars because his sense of humor and way of teaching is amazing. And as being an instructor along him, it's always uh, very difficult to do something better than he does. Thank you, Tommy, for your time. Cheers, buddy. And make sure you go to Les's stuff, look at his content, subscribe to his YouTube. He's very polite and won't promo himself. So get your ass onto his YouTube, subscribe, <laughs> go to Facebook, do his stuff because the ginger beardy egg man has told you to do it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs>